This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in to the show. I appreciate it because I've got a killer conversation with two of the members of a local outfit named Nesha to share with you. Alastair Belling and Sam Dillon join me to discuss what the group has been up to lately. And I can tell you now, they've got a new single out. I believe it's the band's first preservation of privilege. It's a hell of a cut. It's very catchy death metal. It's brutal. It's got some melodic hooks as well. It's death metal of the extreme variety that you can listen to, that you can groove to. I like that. So the two members are Alastair Belling and Sam Dillon. As I mentioned, Alastair is a journalist a bit like myself. He contributes freelance. He's a freelance writer. And uh, if you Google his name, you'll find him on plenty of articles, plenty of yarns that he spun there for outlets. And Sam, well, he's also the vocalist in Lowe and Haddle Moore. So two very talented fellas, it must be said. This this band here, and you'll hear me talk about it and the reasons why, is a bit of a supergroup, an Australian metal supergroup. So here they are, Alastair and Sam from the group Nesha. Al. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Good, mate. How's the, uh, how's the day been travelling for you? Yeah, it's been, it's been fine at my ends. I'm just in Sydney, so it's been... Pretty relaxed. Um, can go have picnic with friends at the moment, which is really, really nice. Um, I shot the link to Sam as well, so he should be joining us in a sec. Yeah, that's cool with you. That's fine by me, yeah. I noticed that um, Samuel Dillon has joined your meeting, appeared in my inbox at 5.56, so no dramas at all. <laughs> Just probably hit the link to make sure it was working. Yeah, totally. Yeah, nice. so, yeah, picnics are allowed here in New South Wales at the moment, which is lovely, so... Just been been doing that and hanging out with friends, so it's been great. Yeah, the lockdowns down there have been nuts. I mean, we're a fortress state here at the moment, and uh, nobody can get in or out except for NRL players, of course, which I don't mind because I love the NRL, so I'm not one of those people who complained about it, but it was pretty fucking sick to say the least that parents couldn't get in to get their children life-saving surgery and stuff because they're from a casino or yeah. um, Grafton and stuff like that, and they were banging on about that pro-Queensland shit. It was just ridiculous. Nah, that didn't, that didn't make a lot of sense to me, to be honest. I thought that was pretty, thought that was pretty lame. I was going to drop Sam a quick line and say sure. that, that. One sec. Um, how was, uh, did, you, did you watch the footy yesterday? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I thought it was a great. I didn't. I actually had a ticket to go, but it was a single ticket. Here he is. I'll just let him in now. It was a single ticket, and I thought I'm not going to sit there like a nige. You know, it's just it's just weird. You look like the creepy guy who's a massive fan. I'm not a huge fan of either side. Yeah, sure, fair yeah. enough. Sam, how you going, mate? Good, mate. How you doing there? Very good, very good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. No worries. So yeah, we're just talking about the NRL grand final. I like your 70s um, sci-fi novel cover going on in the background there. Yeah, my mate from Chile did that for me for the podcast. It's um, yep. meant, it's meant to be – all I said was the name of my podcast and my you know, YouTube channel, whatever, is Scars and Guitars, and yep. I write books as well. So I said I just want something that you think fits because he's a huge metal fan as well. 
And he goes, that's what he came up with. And he didn't want anything for it. He just did that for me for nothing. Oh, beautiful. You know, he's a good mate, right. Christian. Yeah, yeah he's a, he lives on the Gold Coast these days, so he's just down the road from me. But, yeah, yeah. He, um, it's basically like a hellscape, as you can probably tell, but, you know, with aspects of the universe sort of mixed in. So it's very, um, very dystopian, apocalyptic, but, you know, sort of overt gothic themes and stuff like that. But Yeah, it's got a bit of a Dante's Inferno vibe to it. Totally. I think that's what he, he might have drawn inspiration from it. Truth be told, I didn't, he came over and gave it to me and we just had some beers and then he left and that was it. So I didn't yeah. really ask him too many questions because <laughs> I was just like, just do whatever you want, brother, you know, whatever. Yeah. You, you'd be part of the process as well. So what he did do was, because I write all these books and they're, they're about to come out, so there's there's book size samples of various pieces that are on the front cover. So not the yeah. whole thing, but you can see the the um, the saint and the sinner and the goat and the person that's on fire and all that sort of stuff. They'll all be individual book covers because I plan yeah. on releasing all but books based on my conversations for the podcast. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yep. You know because I. Idea. Well, because between us, what I'm what I would love to do long term is write the biographies for people like Eric Rutan because I'm a ghostwriter. Okay. So I want to send my entry that I've written about their entry that I've written about them into the book, and I've also written some other ghost written some books that won't have my name on them because that's the point of ghostwriting. But I'll say, look, I wrote this book, but I've also written this. If ever you want to do your bio, let me know. Hit me up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm talking. I'm talking to Cam Lee about it. On uh, it was supposed to be today, but it'll be next Saturday now doing some of that. So it just depends on how motivated people are and also, too, to be frank, the price. Yeah, people, get, people get scared when they've got to pay money, as you can probably right. inter- appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pay this bill. I really got it. Yeah, no. well, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah. It's us all priorities as well, though. I think it's, I think people need to value their art a bit higher than what they do because it's. I really don't like that vibe in Australia where, I'm supposed to be gracious from being for being an artist. Mm. As in, if someone asks you, oh, so how did like how do you think people like why should people go see you? Or, or why why should people care and all this kind of thing? It's just like, well, well, fuck's sake. Like I've been doing it a while. I've crafted what I do. I believe in what I do. I'm genuine about it. You should come watch it because it's worth fucking watching. Like, not because I'd be so fucking grateful that someone gave me mm. two seconds of their time for me to get underpaid. Like, for fuck's sake, like, there's a lot of craft that goes into it. You wouldn't tell a plumber that, um, oh, you know, you really enjoy being a plumber, so I'll give you, I'll give you a cup of tea, and uh, yeah, mm. that'll be it. Like, yeah, you pay them for their skill and their time. Oh, mate, we musicians, I'll tell you what, you know, it's, it's a, I play covers, right, just to be clear, and we do get paid for doing that. It's about $300 a gig, so it's nothing to sneeze at. But there are tens of hours of preparation that go into getting that yeah. right and memorising the song and the little nuances because I'm playing bass and sometimes guitar, all the yeah. little nuances that go into, like, learning those songs and stuff. And people don't understand as musicians how much effort and how much of our own time. When I say own time, it's all our own time, but it's literally the only thing you can do for me outside of raising kids and being in a marriage and having a day job. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like I only, like I love, I love sport. I can't really participate or do any of it because I'm so invested in the music side of things with the music journalism, the podcast, and also performing that that's all I actually have time to do unless I want to burn out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, but it also yeah. keeps you sane as well. You need to do that. Yeah. Well, I think I think the three of us, from the sounds of things, particularly with the killer cuts that you're producing here, like 
music is in our souls. It's part of our DNA and not doing it denies a crucial part of who we are. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. You know, so, but look, uh, Dicey did send through um, the presser. So I've only got the single, I've got to say, uh, Preservation of Privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think sometimes people think that I issue compliments willy-nilly. I don't. But as far as I'm concerned, this is a stone-cold killer cut of grooving death. And here's the key point, the bookend, what we just spoke about, great musicianship. I love that. And and I know the presser talks about whether it's the grooves of Entombed, the relentless attack of, Mor- attack of Morbid Angel, which is absolutely my favourite band of all time. Oh, really? The, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love Morbid Angel so much. I've even interviewed Trey's mum, Janelle, for the podcast. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, right. You know, so um, what, what morbid album's your favorite? Controversial, but formulas. I uh, completely agree with you. That's the that's the record that uh, me and Alex were listening to when we when we Serious? jammed these tunes. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. What, what do you what do you like about it? Well, I think the bees. I think side B of it maybe drops off a bit of a cliff in terms of um, some of the more tech, techni, techno experimental stuff. But I like yep. the fact that they're going that they're going that far out of the box. Like my favorite records, personally, from mm. my favorite bands, often end up being some of the weirder ones because I think that's when you find bands are the most interesting. Like Alice in Chains is self-titled. I, mm. I really love. To infinity by dream theater i really love morning rise by opeth um also yeah like wolverine blues by entomb that album yeah, is such a f- mm. monster yeah and i just think when you like when they're not doing the stuff that they're renowned for that's when you really see without any kind of dressing up what they're like as artists because like because when a band releases their first record right that's them as they are completely authentically. I feel like on albums two, three, four, five or whatever, hmm. you can often just remain within the safety of what got you that attention in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, I just find I, I just find particularly on formulas, it, like that A side, like Pete Sandoval's drumming is so, so intense and some of the riffs are so much more slammy than than Alters of Madness, in, in my opinion. But no, like, I agree. Nothing is not as their best song, in my opinion. Like, there's nothing that to me that's probably the greatest heavy metal song ever recorded. You know, it's <laughs> so know, heavy. It's just it just the way he drops the tuning and goes down into that B. I think he goes down into, and I've listened to it probably hundreds of times at this point. But it sends a spine a tingle up my spine every time. There's just I, I spoke when I spoke to his mum about it because he's got he's got Asperger's. You see, yeah, right. I, I didn't think, know that. Yeah, I didn't think she. I think she thought it was out there. But when I checked boards, you know, the Morbid Angel boards and Reddit and all that sort of stuff afterwards, courtesy of the interview, um, yeah. they were saying, didn't know that he had Asperger's. I think that's his secret weapon, though, because yeah. it, it allows him to ultra-focus because he's, he's, he's basically, he lives at home with his mum still. He's 59 or something. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's I'm not saying he's a, he's definitely not a failure to launch type like my brother-in-law yeah. is. Who's, who's got something similar and still lives at home with with my mother-in-law when he's 42. Trey's a high-functioning individual, but with one thing, music and guitar playing. Mm. And um, and he's just, he's a genius. He truly is a genius. I think he's, um, he's you know, sort of Hendrix, Blackmore, Van Halen, Azagtoth. That's where I go. Um you know, I think he's I think he's that important. If you throw in others like Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan, but I actually think he's the greatest 
extreme metal guitar innovator that there will ever be. And I, and I think yeah, you're, they're, yeah. They're the people pushing it to new areas, right? Like, I feel like Rain in, Rain in Blood takes it to one extreme, Alters of Madness, it's like game over. Anything that you're pushing further from there just threatens to be avant-garde. In, in, as far as like speed and stuff goes. Yeah, and Slayer have sucked since that album, by the way, in my opinion, too. <laughs> I like Seasons parts of it, but mm. but yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You, you sort of get to a high watermark. Like a lot of people think it's Covenant for, for Morbid, and I'd agree too, you know, I'd agree with anybody that said that. I just have my own opinion on it. But yeah, mm. Slayer, Megadeth have sucked since Rust in Peace. <laughs> it's like, it's all, these are all my opinions, of course, but but you, you, you try to analyse, well, not, They've had high the Megadeth in particular have had some killer cuts, but just not whole albums that have bested Rust in Peace or sort of got near it. I think mm-hmm. it's um yeah, I sort of have this theory that bands have about two or three good albums in them and that's it. And they usually come at the front of the career. And what you get afterwards is just, you know, band as corporation. You know, like mm-hmm. Cradle of Filth, what's going on there at the moment, where it's just trying to keep the show on the road to keep everybody paid. Mm. Yeah, what I I, I think I, I tentatively agree, but then you then yeah you get bands like Behemoth for example that are just yeah. so wonderfully able to reinvent as well. Yeah, same yeah. with Napalm Death. I've, yeah. I've and even Cattle Decapitation. I find both those bands have they've already got like over ten albums each, and it's actually the last two to three that have been their their most theatrical, their most poignant, and their most yeah exciting because they're not mm. just going let's tick the boxes let's go down this merry way and make sure the fans have got this like sure yeah like you're saying with cradle of filth i feel that their their best efforts were when they had those key founding members and as a lot more in band fighting and stuff happens and shares get divvied up yeah they lose people along the way and then you find whether or not the writers were the ones that stayed in the camp or <laughs> it's just yeah. the people that become the session faces and that's there to sell some shirts and if that's what they got to do to keep them off the, like in the payroll and off the street well I can understand that like it's there's worse ways to make a living but as as far as like exciting for the fans yeah uh, there seems to be that sort of thing of I feel maybe the the passion for it goes out the window and life gets in the way. As soon as you were just saying with your your family and that you've only got so many hours in the day that you can lend yourself to being creative. So Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like you got to be able to put the priority in and do it for the right reasons if you keep mm. wanting to be inventive. But some people just want to do what they want to do. And if there's if the fan it's actually the fans' fault. If the fan wants to see that band, then the the reason for them to exist is still there. Like look at bands like Marilyn Manson and Corn, like they haven't done anything relevant in a long, long time. But mm. they will still be there playing those shows because the fans want to see it. And that's nostalgia to blame. Like it's not the writing, I guess. Yeah, corn, corn is ridiculous, isn't it? You know, like I, I've never truly enjoyed the band at all. I've got to say, and I, it's not about not respecting them or whatever. Fuck, they're they're huge. I mean, they're, they're a household name amongst rock fans and even some hip hop fans. You know, but realistically, and it's like you guys. I've got to say, you guys are both right about it, the albums. You know, my point was they're sometimes spread out. You know, the three or four good albums are spread out across the career. I know the yeah. recent Exodus album and stuff is killer. If you've heard that one yet, I know I've got an advance, and that's outstanding. The Last Testament album is one of the best of their career. So, but, I reckon that's a great record. I love that album. Yeah, that New yeah. Testament. 
Yeah, they're so well, like some of the veterans. I think are coming out some really cool stuff. But um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. Like the the cradle of filth thing's interesting because I'm not saying I consider myself a subject matter expert on the band, but I've interviewed almost all of the early key players yeah. from Stuart Anstis to Paula Lender. Danny, of course, Nick Barker, you know, and, I, and I'm talking to the guys about writing a book focused on those two big albums, Dusk and Cruelty, and the the writing and recording process. The truth is there's one person writing it all, and that's Stuart yeah. Anstis. Paul wrote Dusk, Stuart reinterpreted it, and then Stuart wrote Cruelty with Les Smith and Nick Barker around him to help him conceive it, a bit yeah. like Freddie wrote Bohemian Rhapsody and yeah. had the other guys around him to help him deliver it. That sort yeah. of thing, and you can you can hear it. They're like two different bands from Cruelty to Midian. Yeah, yeah. you know they're like. Too I remember cool. hearing it, think, "What the hell is this, is this? The right CD?" You know, like, yeah. Paul Paul's a great. I've got to say, Paul's a fantastic guy. Paul Alender, but he's a very he's very a, a grinding. He's a grinding guitarist, hmm. and he's got his own style. Stewart's one of these flamboyant, bombastic Adrian Smith types, hmm. and hmm. Um, and it was very sad what happened when the band just sort of blew apart and they lost the trajectory and I've said it repeatedly, they were the nouveau Iron Maiden. You know, yeah. for, I'm 43, uh, so I remember, you remember that back then, what it was like? <laughs> well, I remember, yeah, I remember lining up to get my uh, Midian CD signed back when I was a teenager. So, yeah, I do remember those days. Mm. Yeah, cool. Al, you're going to say something. Go for it. Oh, yeah, that's what you're saying in terms of, you know, when those key members leave. It makes me think of Pink Floyd with... um you know, the wall going to the final cut and division bell as well. In that so post-trade. true. So mm. true. Yeah, I, was, I think a lot. Pink Floyd are one of my favourites as well and Roger mm. Waters is a bit of an arsehole in my opinion. You know, he's got some really <laughs> pathetic, he's got some toxic anti-Israel stances and stuff that mm. he shouldn't be. He should know better, to be frank. But, um, yeah, he's a musical genius. You can be an asshole and still be a musical genius, and he is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah, we'd have to remove most of the things in the museum and art galleries if we were going to go down that way. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. But that's it. But, look, about you guys, um, I'm digging what you're doing. I just wish I had more to sort of latch onto because I've just got the one single. But that's that's cool because, um, you know, the references to the bands that you guys uh, have in your press are there and Toon Morbid Angels were saying early Opeth, um, and I understand you've got you've got a debut. Is it a debut album that's coming out or is this just the start of things, this single? Yeah, so it's just the start of things. It's funny timing actually because we've actually got our next single dropping this week as well. Like cool. it's, a, it's a very very quick follow-up. Um, the basic idea was just to release an A and a B single just to kind of introduce the band, kick, it, kick things off. Um, because like all three of us, myself, Sam and Alex, who's not here at the moment, uh, we're all, you know, creatives busy with all of our own projects as well. So basically I think Nash is going to be something that hopefully will be standing along, you know, for quite some time, but it's very much one extension of what we all do. So yeah, the basic idea was to sort of put these two out fairly close together, get a good intro to the band going, <laughs> try and avoid as much of that September October rush as possible as well, mm-hmm. um, because there seems to be so much music coming out then. Um, and we're yeah, we've booked in some time. So me and Alex are up in Sydney, Sam's in Melbourne. Uh, we've booked in some time, Alex and I, to go and just lay down all the instruments for a debut EP uh, next week, actually. Um, and basically the way we've been working it is, yeah, we just record stuff, send it to Sam, Sam does his thing down in mm. Melbourne. 
so that's kind of the way that we've sort of been working it at the moment. Um, and yeah, like one, two songs in, we're still sort of figuring it out as well as we go. Um, but yeah, that, that was sort of the thinking with the, with, with, with preservation of privilege first, and then this new one we've actually just, you know, in a timely manner got coming up as well. Just uh, two quick little hits to sort of give an idea of, cool, this is what we're playing. This is the style we're playing. And then yeah, next year, hopefully once we get that EP out, um, and start thinking about the possibility of doing live shows that'll really sort of get, keep the ball sort of gathering some momentum. I mean that in a good way too, that I wish I had more to latch onto right now because I get sent literally, I do these music shows and I've literally got something like 800 songs to choose from. Yeah. Uh, This is in four weeks. You're right about September and October being the months where people send stuff through. I get 50, 60 emails a day from I mean that's normal right I get that that's what happens but I try to sift through it all and a lot of it it's good stuff but I don't need to listen to any more than one song yours is a bit different I was like oh wow I wish this was a to your point an EP or an album or something like that and I could sort of get into it a bit more because since we organized the chat I try to spend the week leading up to in the car especially listening to the music so as I can ask questions and the like but you guys are on you guys are unusual for another reason in that you're you know, I use this term loosely. It's a supergroup. <laughs> you know, you're an extreme metal supergroup. Um, now, I know um, Sam, you're in Low and Hadle Moore. Is that correct? Have I got That's that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Low album was fantastic. The one was it oh, released in uh, Yeah, the recent one. Yeah, I listened to that a fair bit. Oh, amazing! Thank you. Yeah, yeah Chris, Chris sent it through to me. Chris Murrick sent it through to me, and yeah, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. What what was the did that meet your expectations in terms of reception? Ah, uh, look, it was um, the the timing of it when it came out uh, was great for Australia, but it was probably left a little bit too late um, when we did our first tour of it uh, across Europe. So there was by the time it had come out. We were already almost about to play shows, so uh, it did take a few shows for people to latch onto all the material. But after that, it went really, really well, um, and it's just been a slow burn. Like it's 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 just had a, it's had more lives as time's gone on. It's it's been about what four or five years now, and we've been able to do the whole set at Dark Mofo uh, recently. So yep. we just managed to get me through the red tape of uh, COVID border restrictions. And it was, it was pretty funny. I was like treated like, <laughs> like Cyrus, the virus out of Con Air. <laughs> Literally calling me every 20 minutes to make sure that I wasn't coughing on every single resident of oh Hobart. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very interesting, but um, it was a great show. And uh, the album was really well uh recorded and and yeah with Chris Merrick and stuff looking after things it was it was a great experience so yeah we we managed to keep busy even though we're in in lockdown and the same deals with Nesha the guys do their stuff up there they send it down I record down here at Nick from uh Hadlemore's private studio and then mm-hmm. I send it all back but uh we're looking forward to doing some shows again as soon as things ease up a bit yeah yeah, that's the that's a question that comes up all the time is when, and we don't know. We don't know because everything that gets booked gets cancelled. Yeah, yeah. At the it's moment. very hard to even celebrate small victories because the celebration doesn't happen. It's you got nothing to plan for, so you just live in the moment and you try and be productive. 
and at least tick off something each day that keeps you sane and keeps your your cogs moving. Mm. Agreed. And 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 Al, how did you connect with the guys? How did the involvement come about? Yeah, it's, it's quite funny actually because I'm, I'm a bit younger than the other two guys, and I'm 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 very I'm, a, I'm in this very strange position that I'm now sort of in a fairly new project with two dudes from bands that I've like really sweated since I was in high school. <laughs> so it's a very it's a very bizarre kind of place to be, but it's fun. It's cool. Um, so I like the project sort of came about because um, Alex and I knew each other. Um, so Alex is from Sleep Makes Waves and they are probably one of my favorite bands from basically year 10 onwards. And I sort of mm-hmm. made a point to go to all their shows um, whenever they played Sydney and then sort of started following them to Wollongong and Newcastle as well. And was just being a bit of a merch desk punisher for lack of a better <laughs> time. But, you know, in a cool way, sort of got to the, the guys were extremely nice to a little hyperactive 16 year old. Um, and so just sort of, got to know them over the course of several years really. And then I started working in music journalism. So I was able to um, interview the guys a bit for different publications as well. So basically through being a fan, being keen and, you know, not being afraid to say hello mm-hmm. was lucky enough to be able to form a friendship with um, uh, both Alex and Otto in particular. Um, Tim's lovely too, but yeah. And then it's very weird. I, I happened to be doing a studio session one day um, just here in Sydney at Jungle Studios and Sleep Max Waves were coming through to rehearse um, at, in a sort of room out the back. Um, happened to be sort of doing, laying down some thrashy power metal stuff um, for this client um, and Alex heard it and he'd been um, working on some extreme metal stuff um, himself just in his own spare time. So he gave me a call a few weeks later and was like, look, it sounded like he had the chops for it, which was very nice of him to say. Um, do you want to listen to some, some demos and get together and jam? So that was basically how that came about. Um, and then, yeah, so we started meeting up and having coffee and piecing the project together over the past year or so because it's just been a, a long process. Alex has obviously had to like, – he's had lots of touring commitments and then lockdowns have meant, you know, things have had to be on hold a lot of the time as well. So it meant pre-pro took a while. I went away and did the Army Reserves because um, I work for them as a musician as well. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, so similar, again, seems to be a constant theme. Like, you know, just life comes up. Um, but yeah, eventually we sort of got some tunes cut and started um, hunting around for a vocalist. And I'd seen Low perform quite a few times. I think I first saw you guys, Sam, when you opened for Trivium at the Roundhouse. Oh right, geez, okay, yeah. that's ages way, ago. Yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, so I've been I've been on that train for a while, um, and just shot Sam a cold message on Facebook and was like, "Man, I'm doing this thing." Um, here's some demos. So that's that's sort of how everything came came about. So personally, I feel like moral of the story for me is like never be afraid to ask questions and reach out and say hello to people. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of how it's worked. We've only been able to hang out as a group like maybe twice because of you know, <laughs> yeah, it was some lockdown and stuff. Mm. But yeah, like. Um, like we've all been around the block a few times musically, so we're pretty comfortable with how how this all works and and the entire sort of situation. So that's kind of the Nesha Genesis story up until now. Mm. Who came up with the band name? Oh, Sam. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've always loved um, vultures and 
I I'm not a religious person, but I do I did go to a Catholic high school and a Catholic primary school, and you you learn the Bible pretty in and out by the time you're through with that rigmarole. And I like biblical Hebrew Genesis era style metaphors and similes and things. And then the word nesher is a Hebrew slang term for vulture or bird of prey or like bone feeder, that sort of thing. And I just thought that's very, very like ominous, very cool, very old, old world style name. And it's, it's just something that I quite like the sound of. It's got your six letters, which is what you want in death metal. So you can make your symmetrical, <laughs> yep. <laughs> your symmetrical logo and, and kick it off with a merch town. But um, yeah, I think it's a nice connotation for guys that are picking off the bones of our heroes to be able to bring something new to it and breathe life into it. Yeah. Yeah. Killer name. Yeah. Great explanation for how you got together and also, um, the philosophy behind the band too, I think you've summarised there in a way, you know, picking the bones from your favourite band, you know, the Opeths, the Morbid Angels. But I, I never felt for a moment when I was listening to the cut that you sounded like anybody. I think you honour them by taking cues from these great bands and doing your own thing with it. I think, yeah, my favourite part, part about when I heard the tracks be sent to me initially, I was I saw the potential to add a very anthemic, chorus-driven style to something that can often be a bit alienating to people. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think people need to be like poo-pooing the idea of a groove and the idea of being catchy. Like I love that stuff. And it's the stuff that when you are at a metal gig and, and the band's finished playing and you want to keep drinking with your mates, you want to hear the bangers. You want to hear the anthem. You want yeah. to hear that message being rammed into your face. Um, like I don't really think we need to go on for this style at least a ten minute opus that that <laughs> that's filled with cellos. You know that's great if you want to do that, but oh god, yeah. I want to I want to just be in your face with poignant things to say, but keep your feet tapping the whole time. Yeah, yeah, they were killer riffs, killer grooves. Uh, drumming is great too, Al. Uh, the whole thing just seemed to come together on that one cut there. And again, that's what, what I mean by I'd love to have more to sink my teeth into. So in regards to the recording process, given there's, you know, you're, you're down there and uh, Al and Alex are in Sydney, was it were there a lot of challenges for you to be cohesive in that regard? Well, it's the way that I wrote all of the low stuff and it's how I do all the Hadel Moore stuff. So it's just, it's not something that I find too challenging. The only thing that would be challenging is if someone sends me a riff I don't like and then <laughs> they're going, what the hell am I going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> Create another band. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like, or just, it's, it's kind of like if you're, if you go into a boardroom with someone and you don't, you've only got a couple of pitches, but you don't want to, you don't want to give them the worst pitch first because knowing them, they might just latch onto it. So yep. you be, you become less is more with, with what you put forward and what you like. Mm-hmm. And you just got to have confidence in, in how your craft is going to be like, ed- like uh, communicated through what they've given you. And I'm very lucky that they haven't sent me anything that's terrible. <laughs> so I'm always, I've always got a lot of confidence with the boys that what what the demos are going to yeah. come down are going to be fantastic. So that was the whole point. I knew I knew that they've got their stuff sorted, and that we're always open to 
criticize each other and and feel safe in the room that our ideas are going to get heard. What yeah. do you guys do? Just, be, sorry, go out. You're right, mate. No, that's cool. Thanks. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, I think a big part of that is because, again, like we've all been in bands now for quite some time, and particularly Alan and Sam have, have um, been in bands that have operated at quite a high level. I think everyone's got a very healthy uh, idea of what makes doing the music work, and that's obviously you know re- removing ego from it while at the same time not shying away from backing yourself. If that makes sense. Like you know, it's going yeah. and being like, yes, this is what I've got to offer, and if you don't like it, then I will listen to that. And I will, you know, um, take that on board and try and make this the best it can be. And, um, yeah, like something I've kind of said a couple of times now, but it's like Alex and I aren't really trying to reinvent the wheel with the stuff that we instrumentally have been writing, but it's more just do the, the simple fundamentals really, really well. And, yeah, like I guess part of the aim is, you know, those bands like Lamb of, your Lamb of Gods and your Slipknots and stuff, part of, I think, the reason why there's such a critical mass around those acts, aside from, you know, things outside of their control, was because they, they have those things that are like chorus hooks and uh, I guess are catchy, for lack of a better word. Um, hmm. And that's just, that's awesome. It's so good. Like the, the, the simple, like, I mean, even the way that new Spirit Box record is just kicking off right now, mm-hmm. like whether you like it or not, like I, I probably wasn't a huge fan at first, but I have not been able to get you know, some of those tunes out of my head. So I don't know what that means. Mm. <laughs> I might have to go back to it. But um, yeah, just doing those fundamentals really, really well and trying to make stuff that doesn't overstay its welcome, but has that catchy element. Yeah. That's kind of, it's good that like, I think all three of us have kind of emerged on being the same page, being on the same page with that, which is something that we kind of, that wasn't articulated straight away when we sort of first began you know, cautiously vibing each other out and seeing how it was going to go. So that's been really cool to sort of like land on. Yeah, I, it definitely was a lot more catchier than what I anticipated, but in, in a great way to both of your points there. Um, I, I, when I was planning the questions, I thought, God, you guys remind me a little bit of cross between Trivium and, and Lamb of God. That was the initial thing, but then I listened yeah, to it was. more and then I, I thought, no, it's not that, it's harder. It's harder yeah. than those two bands. Um, mm. Tri- Trivium are one of those rare bands. They're a very, very good example of what I was talking about up top. Two or three killer albums to open up the career and then the rest has just been ordinary, In my, to be frank. Um, and it's it's like all this annihilator staccato, you know, jugga, 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 annihilator staccato style riffing. It's like, for God's sakes, don't just rely on the drummer to do all the work. Actually come yeah. up with some melody, you know. Yeah. Um, but the other, the other band too... Adult or satanic AOR ghost, yeah, right. Look at yeah. their success. I mean, who would have thought that there was space for that? Mm. Blue, blue, blue oyster cult dressed up in a bit of grungy yeah. pop, and yeah. or, or foreigner. I think foreigner. I'm a big yeah. Lou Graham fan, and foreigner. And I hear it, I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's enough here. I mean, it's in it's basically foreigner in minor keys, mm. yeah, sure. That's fair, <laughs> actually. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's not the sort of thing I'd listen to all the time because I've being a covers musician, I have to play all the foreigner shit and all the rest of it. So I, I get yeah. I, I have that stuff via osmosis, you know, Lou Graham yeah. solo <laughs> material and all this other stuff that that you just wouldn't choose to listen to unless you have to, like I have to. <laughs> but oh, um, I'm a as well. So I, I, I feel you on that one. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like I was talking to Bill Steer from Carcass, of course, and I said because you know he was 
he's the guy who wrote the first two Napalm Death albums, mm-hmm. and then he wrote he, he still writes the music in Carcass. They're all his riffs, and. Mm-hmm. I said to him, you do realise that about a quarter of the extreme metal bands are just copying you at this point in time. Like all this yeah. South American stuff I get sent, it all just sounds like recapitrification and shit. It's yeah. like it's there's some bands that just have such a colossal impact on a scene that all these 15, these kids who turn into teenagers, 15-year-olds, pick up a guitar, a pointy guitar, a warlock or whatever it might be and go, I want to sound like that. And yeah. uh yeah, you, you find that. You find that across the board, but there's just some musicians that are so influential that it's it's sort of impossible to overstate how, how important they've been. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the Gojira pig scrape's going to be around for quite some time, I reckon. Oh, God, yeah, in you're not wrong on that. <laughs> yeah, I hear that come through a lot, you know. So, mm-hmm. so in terms of the, the gigging side of things, okay, did you have any gigs planned that you had to pull out of, or is that something that you just got on the far horizon and just? I'd say far. I'd say far horizon. Um, yes, we didn't have any plans at all. I think in the last couple of weeks, like Alan and I, I think I'm actually talking about okay, like how do we want to approach this because we do want to play shows and and Sam's on the same page as well. <laughs> uh, like we like, but again, like we all have our own. Our, our other things going on and Alan Sam in particular, you know, Touchwood should have some, some cool touring cycles coming up for their own respective projects over the next, nice. you know, 24 months. Mm. So yeah, it, it's just a matter of sort of fitting, fitting things around that. Um, but I think at the same time, there is like, we all do want to be present too. Like don't want it to be too much like a project where you hear something from, and then it's like goodbye for like two years. But yeah, we, we want to make sure that the shows we do are like we can put our absolute best foot forward and just completely blow people away. Um, which you know every band says that, <laughs> but I think again because of the amount of experience that you know particularly the other yeah. boys have had during the touring thing and really doing those high level professional shows, there's like a standard that we're really keen to make sure we absolutely hit. So. Yeah, we started sort of sending out feelers to a couple of agents just being like, hey, like this is who we are. This is the music we've got. This is what we've sort of got planned um, roughly for next year in terms of putting an EP out and we would like to tour that. So, yeah, we're we're just beginning to sort of think through that and also sort of throw about ideas of in terms of when we do present the show, like who's going to be on stage with us because, um, you know, there's three of us, but we're probably going to need a couple more people um, up there. Out. I love the idea of throwing some like eagle masks on like two guitarists or something <laughs> like that. And you, you know, you just, yeah. just have these like nameless, nameless entities that, you know, you never know who they are. We could sub them out if one's not free or something, but. Or do the portal thing. Yeah. What's, I'm not super familiar with portal. Oh. I have to be honest. You want us all to, to wear um, bathrobes with, with masks over our faces, like like <laughs> clock a clock for a oh, head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is great though. I can't. I really can't fault fault portal at all. I love the mystique of the whole thing, and it's the most uncomfortable music that, that's come out of Australia in quite a while. So I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, and from Brisbane, that's the thing. Like, and and I know plenty of people, and nobody knows these guys, or nobody's prepared to tell me who they are. I must have bumped into them a bunch of times, but. Um, <laughs> You know, when I was talking to Phil Anselmo, that's what he said. He, he was talking about catching up, and I said, "He goes, 
you're in Brisbane. And I said, yeah, he goes, shit, I won't have time. Then the portal guys are there because he comes up here and get, I think he comes over here and catches up with them a fair bit. Yeah. Because yeah, they're right. mates. They're on that house call thing. Um, mm. But um, yeah, portal. I just listened to them today, funnily enough. Yeah. That is yeah. Very uncomfortable music. It's uh, the sort of thing that if you're not an extreme metal fan, will certainly give you a few nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you do you do feel the pressure though, given the, the pedigree of musicians that are in the group. And when the time does come to be able to perform, do you think you will reach out for people who understand that there is going to be an expectation there from the fans' perspective? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think it would just be a matter of um yeah, I think it would just be a matter of making sure that we we have got a, a, a team that um enjoys hanging out and enjoys just doing again doing the right stuff mm. to the highest standard possible so I, I think that's probably how i would explain it what, what, what would you say sam <laughs> oh look I, I don't want to sound like yeah the way i see it is you i've done it enough and you you just end up being surrounded by heart lifters not heart sinkers so the people that you are going to have these conversations with, you're it's not this will will they be okay, will they be good enough or whatever. They're, of course they're going to be good enough because that's why you're talking to them in the first place. Like they're part of your friend group. You respect them. They respect you. Like I find I find that level of skill, it's out there in droves in Australia. We've got some fantastic heavy musicians I don't think it's going to be that much. It'll be literally what Al said. It'll be who I'd rather have a sandwich with than (laughs) whether or not they can play. (laughs) In the long end of it, I don't care how good you are. If I can't get along with you, what's the point? 150%. Yeah, I don't don't think we'll have auditions. I think it'll be more like... It'll just be like, hey, man, are you free? (laughs) Would you like to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you on that point. God, I've been in some bands with some absolute fuckwits, and it is torture. Is the only yeah, way to describe horrible. it. It's horrible when you've got four sets in a night and you're having an argument by the first break, and you've got to do another three sets, and then unload at three a.m. with yeah. all heavy gear with someone that you just really can't stand. Yeah, yeah, that's actually yeah. Well, that shows the experience you guys have got. It's not to your point. There are and there are there are so many world-class musicians in Australia at this point that you just simply don't need to go overseas to recruit, even virtually. No. But you can, you can, especially in Melbourne, I know this, not so familiar with the Sydney scene, although there's some killer bands coming out, you know, around what um, Renault's doing, the House Fox studio, some of the stuff that he's had through there. Oh, he's a House Fox. It is House Fox, isn't it? I'm not sure. What Miller, what Miller's got over there with Black Renault. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what it's called, to be honest. I know he does some work. I know he does the cult etiquette thing with Dicey, you know, because yeah. half of the bands that I interview come through Miller and the other half come through Dicey. But yeah. um, I've yet to check out his studio up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I love Black Reno. They're fantastic. And both those two dudes are workhorses of what they do. So, yeah, mm. I, I can't see any bad stuff going through there. No, nah, that's certainly, I haven't heard anything bad either. Everything, actually, I've got to confess, I do have a rule. With regards to the podcast, I like going through gatekeepers. I've just had too many punishers approach me directly to come onto the show and then not be <laughs> cool. I know what to say. <laughs> so the, the funny thing is just what you were saying about who would you get, blah, blah, blah. 
Hmm. Like, um, it's that thing of, oh, what was I about to say? Oh, I've just like, I've had a mental break. It was something about people being cool. No, 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 not, not even yeah. that. <laughs> I've just, just experienced. Like, yeah. yeah. Just like experience and stuff, but <sighs> yeah, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. <laughs> it was important. It was important. <laughs> Always happens with the most important points, does it? Because yeah. they're profound. Yeah. You know, yeah, it happens to me a bit. Actually, I've got to say, sometimes it's just because I get busy with the kids and stuff, and you're in the middle of making a point. You're oh, like, oh no, that's what I was going to say. It had to do with that. All right. Okay. So, as you were saying, you're like, oh, I don't want to be in a band with a fuckwit. Well, yeah, and like when you're in in a working role with stuff in life, unfortunately, there is quite a few of them. So, <laughs> in every job, there's going to be someone you don't like, and. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in every time you have to go on public transport, there's going to be someone that grind your gears. And this is all the things that you have to do to pay your bills and get up every morning, go to bed, and then you've got your kids or then you've got your, your other stuff that you've got to do. And if you're going to make the time for this passionate thing that you that, that you live for and that keeps you young and that's your, your passionate heavy metal music, hmm. Then why the hell would you just strap yourself to a to another fuckwit to <laughs> to able to produce the thing that you love so much? You just you're gonna pick the person that has the passion that you have and has the right work ethic and and mm. wants to be there for the right reasons. You don't need to suffer the fools. Like you're not in Guns and Roses, you know. Like you don't have to worry yeah. about that about a guy in a top hat making sure that you sell another shirt for the next thirty yep. years. You'd rather have a beer with someone that that's there for the right reasons like you are and the skill and that that's great, but please just be cool as well. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. It is personality driven. It's, I think at a certain level, it's personality driven. If you're starting out, you've just got to play with whoever will take you because you've got yeah. to develop your sea legs that way. I call them gig legs that way. You know, yeah. you, you've got to sort of, the only way you, it's, it's, a, it's like playing football, you know, you've got to go through the grades sort oh, of thing. Totally. But you guys are in first grade, so you don't need to do any of that shit. So from the perspective that it's just what you I actually, you know, my litmus test for I mean, because I did a lot of fill-in work. The litmus test that I had was what do we what do these guys want to talk about in the break? If they're talking about gear and stuff, I'm like, after it's like when you go to a work function, like the, the staff Christmas party or something, or after work yep. drink. And as soon as someone starts going, well, what do you reckon we do about this next project when you're just like you've already yeah. got <laughs> I don't want yeah, to talk yeah. about it anymore. <laughs> I was literally there for 10 hours. Why do I need to go through it again? Let, let's yeah. let's talk about like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, which comedian we like and what our footy yeah, teams yeah. are doing. That's what the ridiculous hentai drawing you saw on your on your coffee <laughs> break. Like, <laughs> let's actually have a bit of personality up in here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I've said that repeatedly. It's like, let's talk about normal, average, everyday shit during the breaks. If we're talking about the gear or something somebody didn't have said or something like that, it's like, for fuck's sake, no. <laughs> There's no point. Because yeah, we've right. got another two or three sets to go or whatever it might be. And it's like, if they haven't got it figured out by now, there's nothing I can say in 20 minutes that's going to fix it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I guess that's also the other side of it. You know, you want to have people who, if they make mistakes, you don't need to be like, 
raging down there, down their yeah, throat about it. We don't want them to be doing the same to you either. So yeah, people who are cool, people who can be friends. That's the that's the that's the aim. Because <laughs> let's let's all get this straight, boys. No one's going to be a millionaire off Australian extreme metal. You better you better be doing it because you love it. That's the whole point. We all love what we're doing, and it'd be nice to do it with people that also love it as much as you do. Yeah, I made that exact point to poor old Riley Strong. I said you, you, we'd need to get our bloody head checks, heads checked if any of us thought whether it be podcasting or production or what have you. There's probably less than six people in the country that are making money off heavy metal. You know, yeah. and uh, John Howarth would be one of them, you know, with Nuclear Blast and the like. But there's bugger all people that are actually... I'm talking about a living, okay? Yeah, We've yeah. all got to do something else. That's my point, sorry. You know, it's... Um, yeah, the thing is in lots of parts. Well, it was interesting to see the announcement from Riley that Desecrate is going to do the tour and that's it. You know? Mm. I don't know whether you heard that. Yeah, I did I notice... I, uh, I think so. Yeah, I think... I think, well, he all but said that in his social media post. I I don't know whether I follow Desecrator, but I'm friends in inverted commas with Riley on, um, on Facebook. And when he put that up, I noticed he was a very different version of the musician that I spoke to three or four years ago. I just think that lockdowns have got to him and um, the idea that he can't play live because he's a a live musician. You can tell. It's a big crisis of purpose for a lot of people. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shadow pandemic. Yeah. As oh, sure. not being addressed by these fucking moronic premiers, mm. um, especially in Victoria. It's re- it's just nuts what's going on. It's pretty bad up here. Like we had a gig cancelled on Friday night. So just to be clear, I was supposed to play at the Wallaby on Friday night to 200 people in my covers band. Mm. Two days later, the NRL is playing to 32,000 people. The Panthers and Souths are playing to 32,000 people at Lang Park, Suncorp. Yep. There's no logic in it. That's the point. There's like this skewed logic, which is, my opinion, is about fucking politics. It's not actually about what's right for the community. Um, and and I don't like. And when you get bands like Desecrated breaking up, that's not. That's an indicator things are not good. No. Yeah. So, you know, because that's not reasonable. I mean, he's got to do what he's got to do, and I don't know him. I don't know well at all, but I'm just saying that like, this music is very important to people, and. It's never going to be spoken about. What you guys do, desecrated, do what I'm doing, is never going to be spoken about in a parliamentary inquiry that we couldn't do this anymore because we had to, I don't know, maybe our mental health deteriorated or we just didn't have the time to do it anymore because we had to take two jobs or something because we lost our job that was paying us six figures or whatever it was through the pandemic. You know, and I think uh, I get hit up all the time. How about you guys? I get hit up all the time on socials by people overseas just through the podcast asking me, sending me videos of what's going on in Melbourne and saying, is that true? Mm. So I'm not, I'm here. I'm on the Gold Coast. I wouldn't, I I think I I get, I've got a, like I've lived in the UK for a couple of years and I've still maintains pretty strong friendships with quite a few people in Europe and they do message you and they're like, Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And when you do say, well, what do you mean? How are you doing? Like that's pretty triggering question to ask, you know what I'm doing? I'm sitting at home. Like, I can't do anything. And they're like, what what do you mean? You're still doing that? Because they've been talking to me over the last, say, two years. And, they, yeah, they're dumbfounded that that it's still in that same position. But at the same time, they can't boast that level of, you know, very low mortality rate. So... It's a lot of there's a lot of bodies that they're walking over to be able to go to those gigs, unfortunately. 
So, yeah, it's it's a tough one, and I just really wish that there was some accountability by our 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 leaders when it comes to the arts. And there's never been like even when times are good, there was never much of an olive branch extended to the arts community in Australia, mm. which is, yeah. is so awful because, as we're just saying, like we've, we've got so many powerhouses of people that are good in their creative industry in Australia and it just never gets the recognition. It doesn't get paid right. It doesn't get the look in. Not not many, uh, you know, not many allowances are made and it's it's a real tragedy because we could be our own our own Berlin, you know what I mean? Like we could be our own New York. We could be all these things. Yeah. And it's just it's just the people that are still, she'll be right, mate, have a chocolate milk, watch the NRL, have the three kids, get the rescue cat, go to fucking, you know, go to the beach, get a melanoma removed by the time you're 30. It's just, it's a really boring boring Brady Bunch sitcom that we have to sit through sometimes, which is so annoying because when you say essential workers and all this kind of business, everyone is getting on with their days in lockdown and you're all passing the time with distraction of art. You're watching film. You're listening to music endlessly. You're reading books. Well, how the hell do you reckon that got there? If you don't pay your artists, if you don't look after them, what are you going to do? Like... You'll just have your own sad existence to think about after that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there should there should be. I'm not a socialist by any means, right? You know, definitely yeah. not. But believe me, I think that we should be talking about providing a universal income for artists. Yeah. yeah. But just get the basics covered, like 25, 30 grand a year, just the basics. You know, yeah. insurances, all of this sort of shit, a rent. It might be more than 30, yeah. but just give give you that. You know, I'm talking about real musicians, guys like you guys, not some not some idiot just sort of sitting at home doing some stuff on Microsoft Paint if that still exists and saying, oh, you know, the the you know, frauding sits the system. People who have demonstrated that they're productive and they've been very hit hard through this COVID situation. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, God knows money goes out enough. You know, there's we've got the biggest middle class welfare in the, the world. Yeah. Per head per capita, we need to be looking after the artists. But it's look, that's a huge conversation that one there. You know? Oh so, yeah, big can of worms there. And also yeah. with the thing of like, don't 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 say that people starting out are bad. Like what I would do is anyone starting out, please for God's sake, go as hard as you want. Like don't go and do the job that you need to pay the bills if you don't have to, but mm. make sure that when you're at home writing music or you're painting or learning to be a tattooist and stuff that you clock in mentally, do it, yeah. like, do it like a job, Absolutely. do it five days a week in your own way. But don't yeah. just sit there and think you're going to be like sticky fingers and be a problematic piece of crap and get, you know, <laughs> one song out every two years and be a dead shit. Like yeah. actually actually have a, a way of being a workhorse about it and be respectful to people and you'll be sweet. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Beautifully said. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I'll wrap things up, but before I do, um, socials and that sort of thing, if you've got stuff, I'm always big on this to, to that end, how can people support you financially? Have you got products and things you can sell to them? Yeah, we, we set up a band camp actually, so it's kind of um... – I mean, I'm not going to explain what Bandcamp is. Like, no, that's right. right. We know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and have, I haven't yet done the Bandcamp Friday post. I'm sure I will eventually. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, essentially we've, we've just put that up, even though our stuff's available online, like, you know, on all streaming services and stuff, we've put it up as a tip jar for lack of a better word. Nice. Yeah. Um, you know, Alex is definitely, um, he's got a very business sort of outlook with this and he, he's like, you know, the, the worst mistake people can make early is by expanding too fast. So, so I think for now, the best way people can support us, to be honest, is tell a mate if you like it. Yeah. Like if, you, if you're into the music, yeah. go tell one of your friends who likes that music as well. And that's, that's the biggest, best way that yeah. I think we can sort of get the, get the projects rolling. It's nice that it's off the ground and beginning to gather some steam. So I guess the- Tell the name um, for them, mate. So they know. How are they going to look us up? Of course, yes. So um, at Nesha Death Metal on all socials. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's on Instagram N-E-S-H-E-R, Nesha. Nesha Death Metal, all one word, lowercase, no hyphens or underscores <laughs> or accents or any of that, any of that thing. Uh, you can drop us a line, Nesha Death Metal at gmail.com. Say hello. <laughs> That's always nice. And then, yeah, on, on our socials, there'll be um, links right there to our band camp. If people want to financially support us, that's great. <laughs> um, but, yeah, best thing people can do, tag a mate, share it, put it on your story. That's, um, you know, di- digital age. I think that's where we're at right now. <laughs> Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true. <laughs> I love this. He was like almost like he had his stall at the World Fair back in like 1990. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the future, it's beautiful, boys. We <laughs> <laughs> my turtleneck out, my Steve Jobs apple shirt. Oh my god! Yeah. 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 <laughs> I watched I watched um, I watched the Social Network the other night, so I'm very much on like a Silicon Valley business. high. <laughs> I've got to watch that. Yeah. I've got to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you guys do this thing where like a topic talking about Steve Jobs, it's not actually about him, but there's this woman called Elizabeth Holmes. Have you heard of this chick? She was the head of a company called Theranos, this right, blood testing company. Have you heard of any of it ringing no. a bell? No. She defrauded investors out of $1.2 billion. Yes. And she I did de- yeah. She developed a persona based on Steve Jobs. She basically copied him, including the deep voice. She, she sounded like Romy from Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Okay, she's right. like this really deep voice like this. And she defrauded these all these. And when I talk about investors, I'm talking about guys like literally Rupert Murdoch who put in $120 million. Like people who are business people, right, who should have known better. But she obviously had this strategy about hitting on elderly dudes who has a lot of money because she's this young blonde thing. So she she had the sales pitch down pat. But, yeah, a lot of her, like, pitches, she did TED Talks and stuff, they sounded like that 1990 World Fair, you know, pitch to the unknown. You know, it was it was so weird hearing people in this day and age, you know, with that sort of uh, communication style, you know, because it's very, it's very sort of these days it's very, even if you're talking to people, it's very much still conversational. Absolutely. And I find very successful people, it's just how you're just talking to people as if, even if you're in the audience, you're having a conversation with them. They're the best public speakers by far. And um, see, I do Toastmasters and, and hardly anybody there has got that down pat. Believe me, they like yelling at people. <laughs> well, what do they say? Genius is only someone describing, uh, describing the most abstract thing in the most simplest term possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think hey. it was Einstein oh, that said that. Yeah, I think Einstein was a guy. Or someone like that, Einstein or Tesla or somebody like that came up with that because can you imagine how many brainiacs would approach them and start talking in technical terms and they go, don't. 
it's like you know the genius metal bands that seem to get the biggest response they you know extreme metal is such an abstract weird crazy thing but it's those who can make it catchy and mm. i guess um not not dumb it down at all but you know sort of show people the, to the best of its ability this is what it is and this is why you should really enjoy well also just be a bit more courteous i guess to your audience because it's that thing of sure be technically have a technical prowess and and be professional about what you do but you know if you're going to make up your own language you better hope there's a a cipher somewhere because otherwise it's an audience to one and you might as well never leave your bedroom yeah yeah absolutely like it's live music that's what we wanted to do we wanted to get people moving so you need an audience for that and if they don't have the keys to the city they're not going to come like yeah (laughs) i know look a lot of my interviews i've had to cut things out the things that have been told me because i always say to the bigger ones do you want what do you want me to do here edit it or leave it and they're like oh and i'm lucky i do because they go well since you asked you better leave that one there out and um it's it's interesting the things that I can't share with people about what people have told me about, specifically about other other bandmates and all that stuff. Because my view is, if you feel that way, just say it. Like like Ross, I don't know Ross Friedman, Ross the boss, well, but I've had four or five conversations with him, and mm. on each time I've had a conversation with with him, he's talked about how much of a fuckwit, and I believe it, Joey DeMaio is. Right. And the guy was in a fucking band with a pedophile for years, so I have no doubt the guy is a complete wanker. And Ross has said as much, but my conversations didn't get picked up by Blabbermouth. Another one he did had been, and then, of course, Ross went on the back burner. I just think, you know what, if you feel that way because that's your experience, leave it out there. You know, he might have royalties or something like that that might be at risk. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's just as, as with life, as with music, as with business, I think if you're a normal person and you're authentic, good things will happen. Yeah, 100%. And be, be on time and be mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> yeah. Be totally. on time, be nice. Yeah, just be, just just have respect for people. And, you know, uh, to your point, Sam, there's always going to be a fuckwit in the room regardless of where you're at, whether you're at church or whether you're at um, the McDonald's or the petrol station or whatever. If there are 10 people, one of them's going to be a full-on belter and it just is just seems <laughs> to be the universal law. <laughs> yeah. And it's best, it's best to, you know, not expel too much energy on that because it's like a ghost. If you keep talking about it, it almost makes them real. <laughs> just let them, let them just fart off into the distance. It's not worth yeah. it. Yeah, it's a law of attraction thing. I, I actually, I, I'm not ethereal or spiritual really at all, I've got to say, but I kind of am coming around to the law of attraction thing. There is some universal... Um, principles that I think apply there because yeah the more you it's more about the more you focus on things the more these things manifest of course yeah yeah like and I've noticed I've noticed a sad scary thing that's been happening because of all these lockdowns which is people are losing their ability to have that that ability to the resilience is gone for a lot of people and it's an average person I think when they get up in the morning and something bad happens or the news is so good, they're able to shrug it off a bit. But if you keep playing the same song and the same misery, you become part of whinge culture. So you start your day in a negative step and that can be quite toxic to the people around you and very unhealthy for yourself. And it's that mm. you got to be able to have someone that is close to you or trusts you or has your best interest to be able to pull you up on it because yeah. 
Otherwise, the soundtrack that you're playing is going to be very sad and very yeah. damaging. And, I know, yeah. and mental health has taken a massive blow all around the world, especially for your creatives, because we are unable to f- facilitate what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can write as many lyrics as you want, but if you can't go to the studio to record them, it's a bit of a shoot in the foot. So, yeah, it's that thing of if you're out there and you're feeling sad and you're feeling angry, that's a very human emotion to be feeling right now. That's Everyone's very frustrated, but also mm-hmm. try and check yourself a little bit to see what's coming out and what's the energy pouring out because you Mm. might be able to funnel that somewhere else. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, very well said, man. Very well said, yeah. Yeah, I know, Al, you've done a ton of writing, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I work as a music journalist um, uh, part-time. I sort of split my split my life between that and and drumming so it's all all music at the moment it's all the uh i'm like hell bent on industries that covid will knock down unfortunately yeah. <laughs> but yeah. right light at the end of the tunnel and yeah i, I totally agree with what sam said I, a lot of um i was actually on the phone with the journal tonight a lot of um journos jour- journalists in particular broadly speaking i think can get caught up in the um you know the complaining culture and you know twitter is very much geared towards that in and of itself. So oh, it's toxic. It's a horrible yeah. sewer. Yeah. So I, I've definitely found, um, again, like what we were saying earlier, whenever I hang out with other creatives and particularly, you know, music journalists in like a media tent at a festival when those are on and stuff like that, trying to talk about other things, trying to keep positive. It's so much easier to complain about stuff. It's so much easier to be like, Oh, you know, like how long is the line for food at this festival? Oh, my tent's so bad. Oh, I'm so sick of having to stand around till midnight every night when, you know, if you just repackage that as like, dude, you know, we get to go and get paid to go to Falls Festival or Splendor in the Grass and watch these amazing artists. And I'm obviously not saying that's, you know, the silver bullet for anyone who's struggling with stuff. That would be ridiculous for me to do. Um, But I think just, yeah, in general, in life, trying to just be, you know, particularly in the West, roof over the head, clean drinking water. It's better than how most yeah. people are going. So, yeah. But, yes, I am a writer. <laughs> Back to that. Yeah. I was going to ask, have you, have you written for the ABC? Um, Has that so opportunity to, come up? I'm trying to think. I'm not trying to be an, a dickhead. Um, I've done a lot of I've – been, I've been very lucky in that I've, I've done a lot of freelancing stuff. Uh, over the past um, couple of years, in particular, I haven't written for the ABC. No, no. yeah, no. I used to. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I am a journalist too, so I used to. Um, sure. Yeah, when I was at Bond, I went to Bond and did all my work experience and my internship through the Gold Coast Bulletin, and uh, that wasn't too bad. But I noticed all of the younger ones are these hardcore lefty types, and it's mm-hmm. like you don't, sure. you haven't left home yet. You don't have a universal perspective. How can you be so sure that your opinion is a fact? when you haven't left home yet. Yeah. Like, you don't live in the real world yet. You haven't had your heart broken or lost a parent yet. I'm not saying you had to go through those mm. things, but they build resilience and they inform your life story, if you like. And, yeah, I, I made it. I, I now work as a communications officer for the Uniting Church. And um, Yeah, cool. Yeah, so, but I just made a decision fairly early on that I wasn't going to go into news media, which honestly broke my heart because it's where I wanted to go because I like mm. writing, you know, not editorial, but I like the news media cycle. But I'm just yeah. I'm, out, I'm out of sync with it now because of all this COVID shit. Of course. Now, I, I just think it's so important to be, yeah, be always open-minded to 
to, you know, the people that disagree with you. So, like something I really respect about, for example, like Julia Baird, who writes for the Sydney Morning Herald, mm-hmm. will, you know, she'll, she'll cover things um, in the world of like feminism and, and revisionist history and stuff. And often she'll have other commentators who will write angry responses back to her in their own editorials. And she'll always make a point to post them, you know, in the interest of fairness and debate. And something like that is something I really, really respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So totally, to- like, you know, that unfortunately that seems to be few and far between at the moment, but you know, again, there's places though where it still exists. And I feel like that's the, that's the exciting thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just find that the, uh, the journalistic cohort these days are very politically minded. They're not interested in getting to the bottom of things. They're, they're more editorial. Yeah. And, um, and unfortunately that's, that's what, that's what social media is geared towards and that's mm. marketing. That's where a lot of these places can make their dollar through ads and stuff. This is exactly what um, our singles basically leading towards, which is the preservation of privilege. It's, it's you make your own myth and then you'll die for the myth to make sure that you can keep pushing your things over the line. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of dogma that happens in our country for the one percenters and it's, it's just never good. It's never good. Yeah. Not good for the community, is it? Not good no. for the regular person. And the weirdest thing is it's like if you're going to do that sort of stuff, like if you're just thinking, say, in medieval terms or mythology and everything, it benefits the legacy of their next of kin, you know, like the the prince and, and his sons and you always have an heir and all these kind of business. Mm. Uh, it's, it's dumbfounding to me that, all this stuff that's happening now, it's so insane um, and it's so inept with the government that you're literally like we've got an in generation of adults that are burning their own kids' future in front of them. Like it is psychotic. Like you're not even all you're going to, it's short-term gluttons. All you are doing is having a feast at a trough that is going to run out yeah. very, very soon. Yeah, I but not, do but not understand that. Everybody. About the mice. Yeah. It's like they're not even going to live around. They won't be able to be around to drink out of their own coffers. Like that's mm. how stupid all this stuff is. Like I don't understand. And it's there's a pedestal that's up there for everyone to be able to shout their woes at at the moment. And I feel like the big issues are climate change and the environmental impact that we've got and making everything accessible for people with a vaccine. Mm. And it's if you don't pay attention to that first, you won't have that podium left to have a whinge at. Like <laughs> there's no there's no fucking holidaying on a burning cinder. Like what mm. what is the go here? Like it's the, the world of distraction. It's like as long as everyone's keeping their heads down on their devices, on their social media, as you were saying, as the toxic circles, then it's a very easy way to have a steamroller behind someone and get it all done because everyone's mm. heads down the whole time. And that's not a conspiracy theory. It's just purely we are creatures of habit and things have gotten a little bit too apathetic for us over a long period of time. If you yeah. if you frustrate your population that much, there's only so much that the that the well has of care left. So it's a, it's a very worrying time. And I hope people can remember when it's time to make decisions of where their anguish lies and who did it and to get rid of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good comment. 
Good comment. Yeah. Lads, I better wrap things up. I've got another one unbelievably tonight. Yeah, I booked two tonight. Oh, so yeah. um, Joe Rogan over here. Just short <laughs> Yeah, I'm about six hundred in. I'm about six hundred episodes in these days. Wow. And, uh, I just go keep showing up and clocking in. That's how you that's how you get it rolling. I just I, I, I sort of, you know, like you guys could probably get the same emails I do, like Celtic Frost cassette box sets and stuff. And I've literally gone through to the end of it to the point where I'm about to get the PayPal thing and pay the $600 for it or what have you. And I go, I don't give a shit about this stuff. I love Celtic Frost, by the way. Dorm, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not a collector. Like, I just don't need shit. Or I've got my guitars and basses and all the rest of it. That would yeah. be it. Like, I collect interviews. I realise that. Not too long yeah, ago. I love I love having these conversations and I think I've spoken to everybody that I've ever wanted to talk to outside of. Who's the one person I haven't? There might be one or two. No, I've got to be honest with you. Eric Rutan was the last big one that was on my list and I did. So yeah, that was done. You know, yeah, I don't know. I'm into extreme metal, so I know I don't look it, but I am. So it's um, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's um, it's easy to sort of connect with these people, to be honest with you, because it's a fan driven thing. But uh, guys, yeah. I've got to tell you, this has been a killer chat. I love it when we just go. Yeah, and you guys are intelligent enough to be able to do that because to be honest, sometimes it doesn't happen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're very, very opinionated gentlemen over here, so <laughs> it's oh, good. Man. No, I appreciate it. It's very nice of you. Nice of you to um, facilitate and listen to us. <laughs> it's killer. I think what it does too is like um, I don't know how many people are out there doing what I do in terms of just doing this, what we've just done, which is more like just a long-form conversation with the music as the central narrative, but we talk about anything else we want. So that's the spine, the music, but then there's ribs that are made up of politics and society and, uh, you know, what's it like working with dickhead band members like we talked about, that sort of thing. I like doing <laughs> that because most of my audience, like probably with you guys, is offshore. I've only got a 10% yeah. audience share in Australia or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's shrinking. It's growing overseas and shrinking here. I can't figure it out, you know. Um, but it's probably the same for you guys. So, no, I think it gives people a good perspective all we've spoken about, good perspective on who you are as people and they can link that in with the the, the killer music that you're clearly creating. Thanks, man. Thanks so much, That's Andrew. Really Pleasure. Appreciate it. It's been no great worries. talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries at all. So what I'll do from here, if you guys are cool with everything we've spoken about, I certainly am. Um, I more or less just release these things. So I just put a tiny bit of editing on the sound. Um, but I don't edit the conversation really in any way. Um, and I'll just put it up and I'll link you guys in on socials. Yeah, sweet. I'm totally cool with everything on the record here, so that's totally sweet. Sweet. Killer. Well, um, when the album comes out, let's have a chat. Um, yeah, that'd be great. You know, let's do that. Um, it might be in a year or two's time or whatever it is, but that'll be enough time for water to have passed underneath the bridge, so to speak, and we can sort of refer back to conversations that we've had here or what have you. But, no, I'd love to have another chat again in the near future. And, and awesome. Sam, with, with Lo and Hat or more, if you are doing anything, just hit me up. Well, yeah, that's a good good question. Um, uh, Hail Moors, we finished our EP. Um, it's already being pressed to vinyl as we speak. So we've listened to the tres, uh, tr- uh, test pressings. It's all done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Douglas, Douglas, Doug Frost, no, Douglas Glass, I think. Anyways, he's mm-hmm. the guy that does all the Nile stuff. Nile oh, nice. and the yeah. contortionist. Um, anyways, yeah, he did our stuff. We've got a new uh, bass player, a new drummer, and yeah, we that'll be out 
for pre-orders in the coming weeks. So we'll be nice. doing – we're releasing it actually on New Year's Eve. So, okay. yeah. But I'll be That's a to, couple of months away. Yeah, yeah, I'll be able to get it to you anyway and you can have a listen and, and I'll be more than happy to talk with you and, and get the guitarists as well on board. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. And, yeah, no, yeah, hit me up or are you going through Chris or Dicey or, you know, in terms of the broader PRP? So. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be Dicey, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, so let's keep it. Blight Town Records up in Sydney. So they okay. go through Dicey and, and Ryan Black Reno. So, yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Well, look forward to it. Uh, thanks so much again, lads. Appreciate it. You know, God bless and good luck and hope everything goes well for you. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Have awesome. a good weekend, man. Love to speak, mate. All no worries. Okay, thanks a lot. Cheers. Catch you. Bye. That was a killer conversation there with the lads from Nesha. You heard from Alistair Belling and Sam Dillon. Sam, as you heard toward the end there, is also the vocalist in Haddle Moore and Lowe. Do check out those outfits. They are very good. So my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. You can check out some of the videos that I've posted to YouTube as well, if you're interested. Something else, I'd appreciate it if you could like, subscribe, share and maybe even leave a nice comment. That all helps me insofar as the social media algorithm and getting my stuff out there. So that's it. Until next time, take it easy, and it's goodbye for now.